When I was growing up, it wasn't very difficult to get rid of a bad photo of yourself. All you had to do was rip it up. You ripped it up and it was gone. I mean, sure, there were negatives, but I mean, who knew, who knew where those were? Right? In my house growing up, the negatives were in stacks of unmarked boxes because we were highly committed to clutter, chaos, and running out of storage space. But it was very easy to get rid of an unflattering picture of yourself. Today, you can't. It's not that so easy. Uh, today, if there's a if there's a photo that it doesn't make you look good, it could end up on the internet for the world to see. You gotta, you can't tear it up. You have to message somebody and ask them to take it off of, off of their Instagram. And this fear of coming across poorly, because we don't want to come across poorly, we want to come across well. And this fear of coming across poorly is why there's always a, a, a person in every group and at a party or a function and there's cameras out and pictures being taken. There always seems to be one person who's like, hey, can, let me see that. Let me see that first. They want to see it before it gets posted. Just in case it gets posted, they're like, you know, you know uh, that's my, that, that image is my likeness. I didn't sign a waiver. You, can, you can't use that, you know. Give it to me or I'll stuff on your phone. We want to come across well. Today's text is Psalm chapter 13. It's a psalm where God doesn't seem to come across well. It's a psalm where David makes some huge accusations about God. And this picture of God at the beginning of Psalm 13, it's out of focus. It's because it was, the photo was taken through a lens of pain. And David takes this photo of God through a lens of his pain. The image of God is grossly out of focus. Yet in his great patience and love and grace, God lets David post it. Psalm chapter 13, starting in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word. Now this psalm starts out with a cry and then it moves into complaint. But it ends in comfort. Now, what do we learn about God's grace as we look at this and we unpack this? What do we learn about God's grace? What do we learn about Jesus Christ, whom this psalm was ultimately about and fulfilled in. And then what do we learn about how this psalm guides us? Because we're united to Christ now. Luke 24, Jesus is on the Emmaus Road. For those of you who are new to the Bible or new to the Scriptures, this is a very familiar passage where after the resurrection, Jesus says to the disciples, if you read Luke 24, this is what he says. He says, he, start, he starts with Moses, and he goes through all the Psalms and the prophets, and he says how they all are concerning him. Which means this Psalm that we just read was first of all concerning Jesus, secondly fulfilled in Jesus, and then thirdly, it faithfully guides us because we're united to Jesus. So as we unpack the Psalm, we're going to begin to see these things. It starts with the cry. So let's start with the cry. Verse 1 
David is crying. He says, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is actually a very strong accusation against God's character. Because God is a God of love. And right here in verse 1, David calls God a God of hate. You say, well, it doesn't say, it doesn't say hate. Oh, but it does. You see, in Hebrew, this word forget in the Hebrew is shakach. And shakach in Hebrew means to cease to care for. It means uh, to abandon. And it means to, to live like you are oblivious to someone. So in honor-shame cultures, the way that you, one of the ways that you show you hate somebody is you live like they're dead. And so when, G, when, when David calls out to God and he says, you have forgotten me, he says, you've ceased to care about me, you've abandoned me, the God of love. He's calling him a God of abandonment. He's not saying you're a loving father, he's saying you're an absent father. Do you see how this is a strong accusation against God? When we cry, our vision gets blurry. The tears come and the vision gets blurry. David is crying and his vision is quite blurry. And so he's calling the God of love a God of abandonment. Kids, if you look down in your notes, it says this. God is a faithful father who loves his children. And he's being accused of being an absent father who abandons his children. So David's crying out, you don't see me, you don't love me, you've left me. I don't know how you react when you have strong accusations against you. If someone you love, if someone you care about has a strong accusation against you, your first instinct is probably to protect yourself, not give more of yourself. If you're a, if you're a parent and you've ever had a child be like, yeah, and put, point their finger in your face and accuse you of not loving them or caring for them, in that moment, because you love them and because you care for them, it's heartbreaking, but also, as a parent, it's incredibly easy, because of the sin in our hearts, to forget the child that we love and actually go into self-protect. About two weeks ago, I did that. One of our kids was like, you know, saying some things to me about like, you know, this is what I think, you know, is, is going on, Dad, and why you're doing this particular thing. And, you know, in that moment, I stopped loving my child and I started loving myself. I wish I could tell you this is a story from 20 years ago. This is like two weeks ago. I stopped loving my child. I started loving myself and I went into self-protect mode. So that David goes, David is moving towards God with this great accusation, but I want you to consider something about what this teaches us about God. First of all, God let him post it. Not a flattering picture to be called an absent father. And God says, go ahead, you can go ahead and post that. What does this teach us about God? Well, God allowed it to be recorded, and because all of Scripture is God-breathed, God actually made sure that this cry against him was recorded so you and I could reflect on it. It teaches us that God not only invites us to be honest about our hurt, honest about our anger, honest about our anxiety, honest about our frustration, but he welcomes our hurt, our anger, our anxiety, our frustration, even if it's directed at him. He welcomes it. Our God is not insecure. When David cried out and he wrote this against God, God's response wasn't, don't you dare take that tone with me. God's response was, you can cry out to me, even if your cry is against me. It's otherworldly grace that we have this song. When, when an unflattering photo gets taken of you and I, we're like, let's make sure nobody sees that. God says, you can post it. I can handle it. You can come to me. 
And there's this tremendous grace. Unbelievable. But this, so this cry turns into complaint. So after David's crying out about where God is, and he's crying out against who God is, David complains about what God is doing. Or, more accurately, what God is not doing. David complains about what he thinks God should be doing that he's not doing. In verse 2, David asks, How long must I counsel in my own soul? In other words, you're not counseling me. Counsel is where you go to be consoled. It's where you go to get and you go to get, be advised. And David's like, you're not consoling me. You're not advising me. How long do I have to console and advise myself? If you're your own counselor, that's a bad place to be. If you're your own advisor, that's a bad place to be. It's lonely. It's volatile. If the person that you turn to, listen to, trust in, and hope in is you, that's not a good place. And David is saying that's the place that he's in. Is this true of God, that God is not a God of comfort, that God is not a God of guidance? Is this true? We all have seasons where we feel exactly like David, where we're praying and the prayer is bouncing off the ceiling and God is nowhere to be found. But is, but is that actually true of God? Is he an absent father? David is crying out, how long am I going to have to be my own counselor here? And if you're your own counselor, you're, you're going to have massive blind spots because your soul has massive blind spots. David has a massive blind spot. I have a massive blind spot. You have a massive blind spot. And uh, David's saying, how long do I have to do this? What we discover by the time we get to the end of this psalm is amazing, because while David is in the very act of accusing God of not comforting him, God is comforting him. While he's accusing him. Watch Watch the flow of that psalm. How it begins and how it ends. Even in the midst of the accusation against God, God's grace is moving towards David. It's unbelievable. While David's pen is moving against God, God's grace is moving towards David. The only reason we can slap our Heavenly Father in the face is because he's holding us up so close and so high and we're able to do that. This is the great love of God. And so then in verse 3, He's crying, he's complaining, and then in verse 3, David asks God to light up his eyes. He says, oh God, light up my eyes, lest, he, lest I sleep the sleep of death and my enemy prevail over me. David knows the situation is beyond him. He knows the situation is depressing him, and he needs God to lift up his eyes to encourage him. You and I have constant opportunity in life to be going through situations that are totally beyond us, to have situations that are totally depressing to us. And we require God to lift our eyes so that he can encourage us. The psalm starts with this cry because David can't see the presence of God. And then he's complaining because he's not experiencing the provision of God. But the cry and the complaint end in comfort because David took these things to God. Kids, if you look down in your notes, that's what you'll see. That that's exactly where we take our cry. That's exactly where we're to take our comfort. The cry and the complaint. I'm sorry, the cry and the complaint go there and they're met with comfort. When you look at verses 5 and 6 at the end of the text, he says, but. So you've got this huge cry and this huge complaint. And he's looking at God through his blurry eyes. Where are you? You're nowhere. And then he wipes the tears from his eyes and he sees clearly and he says, But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Who is this guy? 
It sounds like the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm are written by two different people in the span of six short verses. You hate me! Ah, you've dealt bountifully with me. How many of you have had that emotional arc? In prayer, in the span of a week, a day, an hour, a moment. David cries out. He's like, but you've dealt bountifully with me. This is what he does. Who is this guy? Have you ever um, had one of your kids when they're, when they're young, or maybe not young, but have you had one of your kids have a big blow up? And they're like, you don't love me, you don't care about me, oh, you hate me, you only had kids, you know, to get work done around the house, because of course that's why people have children, because children are so great at getting work done. Ah, and then they, and they go away, and then later you go up to your room to go to bed at night, and there's like a little note there, you know. I'm sorry, right? Like so many of us have that story. Many of us have done that. And then many of our kids, we have that story of kids who later reflect on yelling at their parents and then they write a little note and they're like, I'm really sorry. That's the song. David stopped seeing through the tears of this absent God that he had concocted because of his pain. Because pain and suffering have a way of causing nearsightedness. It's the only thing we see. We're staring at it. We can't see God. We can't see Jesus. We can't see his, his grace, his presence for us, for us and with us. We can't see it. And so <laughs> David's like a kid who puts a note on the bed at the end. And he's like, actually, no. Verses 5 and 6 are a retraction of verses 1 through 4. Not that those feelings aren't real. Not that those emotions aren't true. Not that we don't have those things. But in terms of who God is for David, he gets to the end. And look, what he's saying about God at the end is not what he was saying about God at the beginning. It's the exact opposite of what he was saying about God at the beginning. It's unbelievable. When he sits down to write the psalm, he's crying. And when he gets to the end, he's singing. You see that? Oh, I will sing. What? You went from crying to singing. That's God's grace. When did that happen? While he was crying. While he was complaining. There's no clause in here that's like, but I've checked my attitude and pulled myself up by my bootstraps and have come to realize. No. While he's crying and complaining and vomiting towards God, God is moving towards David in great grace. This is our God. With a love that we can't fathom. This is the shape of the gospel. This psalm is the shape of the gospel. Who, after crying out to God and saying, you hate me, deserves grace? Nobody. But who, who gets the grace? David gets the grace. God comes towards him. It's totally undeserved. And yet he receives it. You and I receive this grace. That's why we're sitting here. We're sitting here as worshipers. We could cry out and com- complain, but yet... God comes towards us with this great grace. It's amazing. In the span of these six verse, in the span of these six verses, all of David's circumstances are still the same. If you study Israel's history, he's got political problems, people are chasing him, the throne is threatened. That's all still exists. But in the span of those six verses, the circumstances didn't change, but David did. You know when you leave this sermon today, you leave this service today, whatever you had to deal with on Monday is still there. But by God's great grace, you're not the same person within the span of the hour that you were here. Because coming to him, the God of worship, the Lord of rest, who commands us to rest, who says, Sunday's not a me day, Sunday's the Lord's day, we come and rest. He's not clobbering us with legalism by commanding us to rest. 
He's saying, your soul needs this so that, so that I can take your cry and take your complaint and give you great comfort. So that when you go out on Monday and deal with whatever you have to deal with, which is still there, it may have not changed you, though. By God's great grace, your heart has changed. He's taking your crying and turning it to singing. This is the God that we serve. David asks God to light up his eyes. In verse 3, halfway through, he's crying, ah, he's complaining, ah, the whole psalm. Some theologians, as I was studying this text, many theologians call this psalm, they call it the howl. It's like a howl. And they, they did a play on words because of the first word, like Spurgeon did this back in the 1700s. How long, how long, how long, how long, how long, the howling psalm is what they call it. How long, how long, how long, he's just howling. Verse 3, after the howling, lift up my eyes before the ink can dry. God's grace is moving towards him to lift up his eyes. The goodness of God's great love, God's patience, his faithfulness, his grace towards us on display. It's amazing. Prayer is this gift because through it, God is reminding David of his saving grace. David is praying towards God and God's reminding him of his grace through it. He says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your your salvation. Steadfast love in the Hebrew is this word, which means covenant love. It's from the root word, which is grace. David is saying here, oh God, lift up my eyes. I'm so blurry, my eyes can't see you. And what does God do? Then by the end, David says, oh, I'm rejoicing and singing in your grace. God's great grace has moved towards David. God made this covenant promise towards David that someone would be that his descendants would always be on the throne. And David went, and he, God didn't make that promise with David because David was going to be faithful. Because David, as you know, uh, familiar with the, the scriptures, David became a, a, an adulterer and a murderer. But God didn't retract His grace from the sinner because sinners is all that there are. So even though David sins and God made a covenant promise that someone would be on David's throne forever, that someone was Jesus Christ. This whole text is revolving around the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And God did that. Jesus Christ is the true king who came from the lineage of David. Jesus Christ sits on God's throne. His kingdom is eternal. In this text, David is worried he'd sleep the sleep of death. Jesus came into the world knowing he would sleep the sleep of death. David is worried in this text that God wouldn't be faithful. Jesus read the psalm and Jesus knew that God would be faithful. This encouraged Jesus that despite all appearances, God would be faithful. David was worried that his enemies would prevail. Oh God, what are you doing? My enemies are going to prevail. Jesus reads this psalm knowing it's about himself and had assurance his enemies would not prevail. This psalm starts in a cry. It moves to complaint. It ends in comfort. Revealing that God welcomes the ugliest version of you. God will give grace to the ugliest version of you. Because God came in Jesus Christ to die and forgive and adopt the ugliest version of you. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out in his pain. And he lost the presence of God. So that you and I can cry out in your pain. And we can know we will receive the comfort of God. Let's pray.